Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. We're going to be talking about faith today. Now, I refer to this Bible study as the journey from the Red Sea to the Jordan River. Now, when the children of Israel left their bondage in Egypt, the very first thing they had to do, they had to cross the Red Sea. And then they journeyed for 40 years through the wilderness. Now, that journey should have taken 11 to 14 days. Can you imagine? It should have taken 11 to 14 days, and it took 40 years. Now, the last crossing they made before going then into the Promised Land was the crossing of the Jordan River. So today, what we're going to do, we're going to compare our Christian faith walk to that of the journey that the children of Israel took. Now, their crossing of the Red Sea compares to our learning faith. And then the journey between the Red Sea, or the Faith Sea, to the Jordan River, that in-between time, is the plateau that we're going to call faithfulness. We're going to compare it to faithfulness. And our journey, this plateau of learning faith, now that can take as long a time or as short a time as we decide to make it. You know, because it's going to be up to us how quickly we come into faithfulness. And then when we learn faithfulness, we find ourselves on the banks of the Jordan River. And I call the crossing of the Jordan River, I call that trust. And I'm going to show you why in a minute. I'm going to show you a type and shadow. So we're going to be looking at faith, faithfulness, and then trust. Now there are two scriptures describing their crossing at these two different places, the Red Sea and the Jordan River. And I'm going to show you why these are a type and shadow of faith, faithfulness, and trust. Now, the first scripture I want you to look at is in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. Now, this tells us about the crossing of the Red Sea. Exodus 14, verse 13. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. Okay, now Moses is telling the people, he said, don't be afraid. Remember, fear and faith can never work together. So the first thing he does is he says, don't be afraid. And he said, just stand here and watch the salvation of the Lord. Watch the deliverance of the Lord. For he said, the Egyptians that you're going to see today, you're never going to see them again forever. Now it took faith for Moses now to stand up and say that because these Egyptians were hot on their trail. And they might not have been outnumbered as far as how many people, but they were definitely outnumbered in strength. And so then down in verse 22, it says, And Moses stretched his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night, turned the sea into dry land so that the waters were divided. Okay, I want you to notice that the sea was turned into dry land. Once Moses stretched his hand over the Red Sea, it parted and the seabed became dry. Now, this is important. Now, when they stepped out into the Red Sea, they actually stepped out on dry land. You know, this was after the miracle had already manifested. Okay, now that's exciting. We love faith. You know, I love to hear the miracles and hear the things that have happened because of faith. But then very shortly after crossing the Red Sea, they came to the second crossing. They came to the Jordan River. But their lack of faithfulness now caused them to have to turn back and they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Now it took 40 years and it took a second generation of Israelites now before they actually learned faithfulness to God, before they learned to trust in God's faithfulness. And then finally, 40 years later now, they reached the Jordan River bank for the second time. And we find then in Joshua chapter 3 verse 13, 
if you'll turn there, this is the, the last crossing. Chapter 3, verse 13. It says, And it shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters then of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand up in one heap. Okay, now they were told this time to step into the waters of the Jordan River and that when the soles of their feet actually touched the water, then the water would be cut off. Then it would stand up in a heap on each side. Now remember the first time when they crossed the Red Sea, the miracle came first. The waters were parted. So when they stepped out that time, they stepped out on dry land. They didn't have to step into the water that time. Now this time they were actually going to step into the water before the waters was going to part. You know, and now that part of the Jordan River, that's probably one of the deepest and widest parts there in Israel. It's very near Jericho, and it's a deep river most of the time, and I'm sure back then it was even deeper than now. And so God had moved them into a new plateau of trust because, see, for all they knew, you know, once they stepped in, they could have stepped in over their head. And so this second crossing now was going to take trust on their part. They were going to have to come into a deeper trust of God. Now, our Christian pilgrimage is much the same. Once we're born again, once we leave Egypt, we leave the world, then our first crossing is to learn faith, to have faith in God. Now, some Christians will complete this pilgrimage and they'll cross over, go right on through the wilderness, right on into the promised land, you know, and then other people will literally stay back and die in the wilderness. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that they won't go to heaven, but I'm saying they never go on into that trust. They never go on in to enjoy the benefits of God. Now, the pilgrimage from faith to faithfulness to trust is where God is taking every single one of us. Now, this week and next, we're going to be studying faith, the crossing of the Red Sea or the faith sea. And then we're going to go from there and we're going to be looking then at faithfulness and trust. Now, today I'm going to be giving you six very important things that we need to know about faith. Now, these six things will help you to be able to develop your faith. Okay, number one, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Now, a lot of these scriptures you've memorized, but I want you to mark them in your Bible because God said, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe first that he is. We have to believe that God is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so the number one thing that we need to remember about faith is that it is impossible to please God without it. This one fact alone makes me want to develop faith. Doesn't it you? If you know it's impossible to please God, does that make you want to develop your faith? So faith now is the first crossing. And then we find that this whole chapter 11 now is dedicated to the men and women of the Old Testament who walked by faith. They were obviously pleasing to God. The New Testament saints walked by faith just as, as their father Abraham had walked by faith. And the Bible says it, it was counted as righteousness. The early Christians walked by faith. They healed the sick. They raised the dead. They cast out the demons. Then, after the first generation, after the, the generation of the Christians that had walked with the Lord, there came a dark ages. That, you know, there was about a thousand years of dark age for the church. And this is when the word of God was so watered down and so compromised by the vast majority that really they no longer associated Christianity with, with power or with miracles. I think that's why a lot of times they say, well, all these things passed away with the apostles. Because for a period of time, it did appear that way. 
then gradually we find then around the turn of the century, the 1900, the whole world started seeing the beginning of a revival. And all of a sudden it started growing and it started picking up and, and it was slow at first. But then it started blossoming and coming forth. And we found then uh, a couple or three decades ago that God started what's known as the decade of the teacher. And he started teaching faith through his people. There was a period of time about a decade ago that everywhere you went, there were just teaching tapes everywhere. And faith was just being taught in proportions like we'd never seen before. And this actually revolutionized modern Christianity. It was like our crossing the Red Sea. Okay, now why has faith been brought so heavily to the foreground in recent years? Well, I think it's because God's getting ready to come back. I believe it's because Jesus is coming again quickly. And Luke 18 verse 8 tells us that when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? And we need to each one look at that and search our hearts, you know, to, to say, okay, Lord, when you return, am I going to be walking in faith? Have I learned to walk in the faith that you've called me to? Now, Jesus is coming again, and I truly believe that's why faith has been being taught for several decades. And I'm, I'm going to say, yes, he is going to find faith. It may be a remnant, but I'm believing there's going to be a remnant of people who are going to be walking totally, not only in faith, but we're going to find the faithfulness and the trust. Now remember, it doesn't say that it's hard to please God if we don't walk in faith. It says it's impossible to please God. And I used to think, Lord, why is it impossible to please you without faith? You know, why is it that important that there's no way for us to even please you without it? Well, we have to remember that we're made in the image of God. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they operate in faith. They call this world into being by faith words. The very nature of God is, uh, is faith. The very nature of Jesus, he operated in faith. And so we're going to have to have faith to be able to come into the nature of Jesus, into the image of Jesus. Also, we're going to find that Jesus bought and paid for every need and every desire that we're ever going to have. You know, you who don't have a need, you'll never have a need for which God has not already made provisions. And so, you know, anytime you've got a need, you don't have to think, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? Just stop and realize, I couldn't have this need if God hadn't already provided an answer for it. And that's good news. But you know what? We have to be able to operate in faith to be able to appropriate the answers that he's given to us because it's not automatic. The only way that we're ever going to receive these answers and appropriate it is to receive it by faith. So that's why he's teaching us faith. He wants us to be able to enjoy the benefits that he's provided. So we have to learn to operate in this faith to be able to have the blessings of God. Now, I know that some of you have heard a lot of teaching on faith, but I'm going to ask that today and next week that you listen to these teachings as though you're hearing them for the very first time. Because sometimes we can hear something so many times that we actually don't hear it. We just think, okay, I've heard that. But I want you to hear it because I'm believing that if you'll listen to it as though you're hearing it for the first time, it's going to literally spark something on the inside of you. It's going to ignite a new dimension of faith in you. Okay, number two fact about faith. Every believer has been given enough faith now to get him started. Every believer's been given enough faith to get him started. Okay, I want you to look in Romans 12, verse 3. Actually, we're just going to look at the very last part of verse 3. He said, God has allotted to each of us a measure of faith. God has allotted to each one of us the measure of faith. 
Okay, so you don't have to start from scratch. Now that's good news. God wants us to learn to operate in faith, but you don't have to start from scratch. Every born again believer has been given what I call a faith starter, a measure of or a portion of God's faith. It's the God kind of faith that he's given to us. It's sort of like he's, he's given us that to kind of prime the pump. Okay, now, it's what we do with that measure of faith that counts. You know, the Lord showed me when I, I was studying this some time ago, he showed me about sourdough starter. Now, I'm going to date myself because most of you, if, if you're young, you're not going to know what sourdough starter is. But maybe you've heard your grandmother talk about it, even if you are young. But many times they would start to make sourdough, they would start to make their bread, and they would many times go to a neighbor or go to another woman who had her sourdough made up in her refrigerator and they would get a little bit of that sourdough from her and they would take it and they would mix it in with their flour, mix it in with their ingredients and then that would be the sourdough starter, that would be the yeast starter and then finally that little bit of yeast that they mixed in with their ingredients would increase and slowly and gradually it would go through their ingredients until the entire lump was filled with a leavening and then their bread would rise. And they would keep a little bit back in the refrigerator so they could start the next batch. And if they ever lost that, well, they had to go get another starter from somebody else. That is exactly now what God has done for us. He has given us a measure of faith. He's given us that, that faith starter and he intends for us to take that portion of his faith and mix it into our thinking. We're so used to thinking like the world thinks, but he wants us to take that measure of faith and start mixing it in with our thinking. He wants to start mixing it in with ideas that we have. He wants us to start mixing it in with our entire way of life. And literally, it becomes a leavening. When we start mixing in the faith of God and mixing in what God says with our thinking, then pretty soon it starts affecting our thinking. It starts affecting everything in our lives. And as we use it, then our faith, it's just like that bread. It gets bigger and it gets stronger. It starts growing. Now, it's important for you to know now that that measure of faith is not going to stay the same. You know, it's either going to increase or it's going to decrease. And it's up to us whether it increases or decreases. Now, left alone, if we don't use that faith, if we don't use that measure of faith that he's given to us, it will decrease. You know, when the children of Israel left Egypt, God had given them a faith starter that absolutely should have kept their faith going all the way through the wilderness journey. They should not have had any problems. You know, they had seen the death angel pass over their homes where they had the blood on the door facing, and they saw the firstborn of the Egyptians die. They had watched the Red Sea part. They had watched the Egyptians drown in the Red Sea. But they never used their faith. Even the manna and the water in the desert, it didn't charge their faith. It didn't cause them to use their faith. And so Hebrews 4 verse 1 and 2 says that they never entered into God's rest. They never entered into that walk with God that God intended for them simply because they never, the Bible says, they never united faith with anything that was going on. They didn't unite it with faith. Now it's a choice when we unite our faith starter, the Word of God, it's a choice for us to unite that faith starter to what God says in His Word. And if we don't do that, we're going to find out, you know, nothing's going to happen. The faith's not going to grow. It's a choice to believe God. Okay, number three. The God kind of faith has to have the characteristics of a seed to survive. 
God kind of faith has to have the characteristic of a seed to, to survive. Okay, when you have a seed, that seed's not going to do any good until you plant it. But when you plant it, that's how it grows. Now, so many people just concentrate on the size of the mustard seed. I want you to look at Matthew 17, 19. Now, he does talk about the size of the seed. When the disciples came to Jesus privately, they said, why were we not able to drive out the demon? Jesus had had to come and bail them out. And so they wonder, why couldn't we drive it out? And so he starts comparing their faith to a mustard seed. And he said, because of the littleness of your faith. But truly I say to you, if you have the faith of the size of a mustard seed, you're going to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Okay, so he is saying that even a little faith will work for you if you use it. But so many people, they stop there and they just talk about the littleness of the seed. And that's all they get out of it. But I want you to look on back in Matthew 13. There's more to that seed than just the size of it. Verse 31, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, and he talks about the mustard seed again. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed it into the field. And this is smaller than all the other seeds, but, he said, yes, it is small, but when it's, it's full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Okay, so he's talking here about having faith as a, a mustard seed or faith like a mustard seed or faith with the characteristics of a mustard seed. Okay, what are the characteristics of a seed? Okay, he's saying in spite of the fact that that seed is, is small, the characteristics of that seed is that when it's planted or when it's used, it grows and it becomes a large tree. It, it doesn't stay small. So many times they'll concentrate on the size and they don't realize God didn't intend for it to stay small. He intended for it to grow. And so it doesn't stay small. So we don't want to get hung up on the smallness. It becomes a large tree and it becomes a nesting place now or a resting place for other people. When I was a teenager, it was popular to have a mustard seed necklace. I don't know how many of you have seen that, but it was a little glass ball and it had a mustard seed in that little glass ball. And you could carry that mustard seed in a locket around your neck. It would still be just a little mustard seed in that little ball. It's only when the seed is planted that it does any good. And that's what he's saying here. When it's planted, then it becomes a tree. And that's exactly what God is wanting us to do with our faith. See, that measure of faith is not going to do any good until we start using it. Now, when you start to use it, when you sow it, when you sow the seed, then it starts to grow and it becomes like a tree. Do you know what it means to use your faith? In other words, how do you sow your faith? How, how do you use it? You open up your Bible and you start reading the Bible. And every time you see something in the Word of God, you choose to believe it and you choose to act on it. That's how you sow your faith. You look in it and you say, okay, God said thus and so, I choose to believe it. You don't have to feel anything. You choose to believe it and act on it. That's the only thing that sowing the seed of faith is, is just choosing to see his word, choosing to believe it, and choosing to act on it. The reason it's important for us to know that you don't have to feel anything is because so many people are trying to work up faith. They're trying to work up that feeling of faith. And they feel like they don't have any faith if they don't feel something. But you know what? When that farmer goes out and sows the seed, he may get up one morning and he may be tired and he may not feel like going out and, and planting the seed. 
And the next morning he may get up and he's all revitalized and he feels good and he's excited to get out there. But you know what? Doesn't matter. As long as he sows the seed, it's going to grow whether he felt like sowing it or not. And so God's just wanting us to plant it. He just wants us to believe it and act on it. And then in time, your faith will start to grow and it will eventually become like that tree. And when it becomes a tree now, that's when it's going to start then being valuable to God. It's going to start being valuable to you and to other people. Okay, I want you to look at Ezekiel 31 verse 6 because that's the next fact about our faith that I want you to look at. And number four is when faith starts maturing then. We're going to find that, that that tree, your faith that has become a tree, begins to bear fruit. So it's not just a matter then of having your faith become like a tree. It's a, it's a tree that bears fruit. And this is a good type and shadow in Ezekiel 31 verse 6. But it says all of the birds of the heaven nested in its boughs. It's talking about the cedars of Lebanon. And it says, the birds of the heaven nest in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth. And all the great nations lived under its shade. Tells us three things about this tree, the cedar of Lebanon. And these are three things that it's telling us about our faith. This, this is a type and shadow of our faith. And it's a beautiful picture of what our faith is supposed to be. Because see, he's comparing our faith to the seed that became a tree that bore fruit. Okay, now first then we find that our faith, it becomes a tree and the birds start nesting in the branches. In other words, when our faith becomes like a tree, it's literally going to bring rest. It's going to be a refuge or a resting place now to bring peace for other people. It's not just for us, but it's for others too. Okay, the second thing I want you to notice that it says here that it's under its branches that the beasts of the field give birth. Okay, in other words, when our faith becomes like a tree and that fruit begins to grow, it starts maturing, it starts getting strong. Literally, things are going to be birthed into the kingdom through our faith. People are going to be birthed into the kingdom because as our faith starts growing, as that tree starts maturing, we're going to be bringing people in the kingdom. We're going to be introducing people to Jesus. We're going to find that ministries will be birthed because then we're not going to be a spectator. We're going to be out participating you know, looking for things to do, you know, that God's called us to do. We're going to find that ideas are going to be birthed. God's going to give us clever ideas and things to, to bless the kingdom. Needs are going to be met because we're going to realize that freely as we've received, freely we're going to be giving. And that's why it's so important for our faith to grow. That's why it's so important for, for it to, to be a seed that's planted, that grows. So things can start being birthed. Okay, next, the third thing, it says all of the nations will live under its shade. Okay, that means other people are going to come under the shade or under the protection of our faith. But see, it's only after our faith is planted, only after it starts to grow and starts to mature. Now, it's a choice for us to plant our faith, start using our faith. God does the growing. Thank goodness we don't have to make it happen. But as we plant it, as we start using our faith and using our authority, then it's the power of God that brings it into being. So start acting on the faith. When you start acting on the faith in the word of God, just exactly like a farmer that chooses to put that seed out, 
then God will bring the increase. Now, mature faith is not selfish. So many people, they, they're just looking for ways in which they can use their faith to bless themselves. But you know what? That's not the God kind of faith. That's not what God's talking about. He wants us to use our faith to be a blessing to the body of Christ, a blessing to the kingdom of God. And, and when we understand that principle, then our faith becomes a lighthouse. Our faith becomes a, a channel. It becomes a refuge. And you know, the, the scripture in Proverbs tells us that our neighbor lives in the security of the believer. Let me give you this example. Let's just say that maybe it's the flu season or, or maybe a tornado is sighted. All of a sudden, Christians start taking authority and they start believing the word of God and that tornado lifts or, or maybe the flu epidemic subsides. And you'll hear people say, you know, boy, weren't we lucky? That sky surely looked like tornado weather. Looked like we were going to have a tornado any minute. And all of a sudden, the sky just cleared and the clouds went away and, and the tornado was gone. See, they didn't even realize that they were living in the security of somebody's mature faith or a group of people's mature faith. They had no idea that that happened because there were some Christians who had allowed their faith to grow into a tree and the fruit of that was the fact that other people were being blessed by it too. We've had people send people for counseling or people for deliverance, you know, to different ones of you. And that's because your faith was growing and people knew that you had answers for them. And I think, you know, my, you know, if faith is that important, then we want to be sure that we study and know everything that we need to do to get that measure of faith now growing to its fullest potential. Okay, are there other ways now of maturing our faith other than just seeing the Word of God and choosing to believe it and, and choosing to act on it? Okay, I want to show you two scriptures now in the Word of God that specifically deal with building mature faith. Now, really, the Bible doesn't really tell you to go and ask God for more faith. There's some things we have to do. I'm going to show you two scriptures. One of the scriptures is for building just faith in general. And then the other scripture is to build faith for specific things, specific needs. Okay, number five then is in Jude chapter 20. That's the last little book right before Revelation. It's only one chapter, so Jude verse 20. Jude says, but you beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so number five now, praying in the Spirit builds faith for specific situations. This is one of the ways that you can build your faith, mature your faith. Build yourself up in your most holy faith or your most set-apart faith. In other words, a faith to accomplish a specific purpose. Every morning when you get up, spend some time praying in the Spirit. And there'll be times when maybe you wake up and off and on you'll just find yourself praying in the Spirit. Maybe during the day somebody's face or their name will come to you and just keep praying. And later you may find out that they were going through some kind of battle and you were interceding for specific things and you were being built up in your faith to be a blessing to them and you were a strength to somebody else and, and maybe without their ever even knowing it, you know. But it was a set-apart faith for a specific purpose. You know, years ago when we still had our, our mayor, yeah, the mayor's name was Faith, her ancestors were racehorses. And so a bunch of kids had come out to the place and they wanted to ride the horse. And, and Jack was just, he, he never was real comfortable with the kids riding that mare because she was real feisty. And so anyway, he had told them, well, okay, but don't 
kick her, you know, don't do anything to make her go faster. Well, sure enough, the first girl that got on her, I mean, she just uh, was really going to get her to go in because I think she wanted to show that she knew how to, <laughs> to ride a horse, you know. Faith took off, and when she turned the corner, I don't know whether the girl fell off or whether she decided she better bail off, but anyway, she bailed off the horse, and she hit her head on a, on a post that was there. We went tearing across the field, and we got to her, and her eyes had already rolled back. She had blood coming out of her ear, and oh, it did look bad. And so I looked back, and here we all were around her, and there was Jack way back just taking his own good time coming over there. And I thought, does he not realize how serious this is? You know, I was really frustrated that why isn't he running? Why isn't he getting here? Well, he comes over, and he immediately started praying some specific things over her and he started taking authority over different things that had happened to her. And so later I said, Jack, why didn't you hurry and come on over when, uh, you know, when you saw that she had fallen off the horse? And he said, I knew that I needed to stay back and I needed to pray in the spirit because he knew, he said, I knew that we needed to hear specifically what to do in this case because he said, I knew it was serious. And sure enough, she went to the hospital, but she was fine. And I thought, you know, we need to remember that. There's times when we need to pray in the Spirit and get built up in a, a separate, set-apart, holy faith for a particular purpose. So take advantage of the time maybe when you're driving a car or, or maybe when you're doing a monotonous job and take advantage of that time and pray in the Spirit. Take advantage because what you're doing, you're building yourself up in your most holy faith. And when we realize that, then it gives us an incentive to really want to pray in the Spirit and be prepared. Okay, the second scripture now for building faith is in Romans 10, verse 17. It talks about faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word. Okay, so number six now, hearing the Word builds faith in general. Okay, now this is, this is for general faith, just for, for walking out your day. I want you to realize that what it's talking about here is not just hearing the word with your ears. Oh yeah, I've heard that before. That, that's not what it's talking about here. When it's talking about hearing the word of God, it's talking about not just hearing with your ears, but it's talking about meditating on that until you hear it down on the inside where you hear it in your, in your subconscious being, where literally that word becomes a part of you. You know, have you ever had someone try to explain maybe a math problem to you and you just could not understand it and, and they explained it over and over and then finally you said, oh, I hear what you're saying. You were saying, oh, okay, I, I finally sank in. I finally understand what you're trying to tell me. Well, that's what he's talking about here. He's wanting us to hear that word until we understand it, where we literally have it sink in, where it becomes rhema. It dawns on us. Now, faith comes when we hear the word with our understanding, when we hear God's word with our understanding and when we put action to it, when we start using it. And that action is just exactly like, like an exercise. When we exercise our faith, that makes it grow. Just exactly like when we exercise our muscles, it makes those muscles grow. Okay, let me give you an example now of exercising faith. Every morning when, when you're having your quiet time with the Lord, Take a different scripture. It may be a scripture that you've read many, many times, but just take one scripture a morning and just meditate on that scripture until you see new things in it that you've never seen before. Until it starts penetrating your understanding, until it starts becoming literally a part of your being. Let me just give you an example. Let's just say that in the area of finances, 
I like to take 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. I want you to turn there. Now, you've probably read it many, many times, but let me give you an example of just stopping and just meditating and thinking on it. It says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Just stop and meditate on what that's saying. That God is able to make how much grace? All grace. Okay, what is grace? We talked about grace being the, the, the power gift of God. He's able to make all of the power. That, that's our medium of exchange in the spiritual realm. He's able to make all of his power available, abound to us, so that always, how often? Always having how much sufficiency? All sufficiency in what? In everything. You could meditate on that for an hour and not receive everything that it's saying here. And then an abundance left over for every good deed. And that's not just talking about finances. That's talking about whatever it is that you're needing. When you go into the throne room of God, it says that you can go boldly into the throne room of God. It tells us that in Hebrews, that we can go boldly in his throne room to receive grace in time of need. And he's saying he's able to make all of his grace abound towards you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you know, if you're needing his grace in your marriage, if you're needing his grace in your, in your finances or wherever you might be needing it, and then whatever it is that you receive, then an abundance left over so you can spread it to others. And do you see how when you meditate on that, it'll become a part of you? Uh, let's say that you have a relationship that's strained. And you might want to just meditate on the fact that there's a blood covering of Jesus Christ and as you put that blood covering you know it literally is there for protection and you can protect not only from harm but a protection then from the enemy coming in to steal and your faith now your faith is going to come by hearing during the war you know many of you were putting a blood covering around the perimeters of our troops and our U.S. Embassy in different places. And I believe that many of those uh, people in many of those places were protected just because of the fact that, that you meditated and you put a blood covering around those perimeters. You know, we take Psalm 91. I meditated on that for months and months. And many of you have, where you meditate on every word in Psalm 91 until it bursts on the inside and comes alive to you. Maybe you have trouble believing for your children. Take scriptures like Isaiah 49, 25, where God says, I'll give safety to your children. And meditate on what that, that's talking about. Take scriptures like Deuteronomy 28, verse 41. This is talking about the curse, and it says your children will go into the captivity of the enemy, and you'll not be able to enjoy them. And you re read that, and we think, oh, my goodness. But remember, Galatians 3.13 says we're redeemed from the curse. That means you can turn that around and just the opposite is true. And so start meditating on the fact that God has said your children will not go into the captivity. You can stand and say my children will not go into the captivity. I've been redeemed from the curse. And therefore, I will enjoy my children. They'll be a blessing to me. I love the scripture in Isaiah 41, verse 10 through 13. When you're meditating and coming against fear. Because God says, do not be afraid for I am with you. Meditate on what it means. Just concentrate on what it means to have God say, I'm with you. He says, don't look anxiously about. Peter looked anxiously about and he saw the water in turmoil and it made him sink. And God says, don't look anxiously about you. For he said, because I'm your God. He said, if I'm your God, you don't have to look anxiously about. He said, I'm going to strengthen you. Meditate on that. Meditate on what God's saying. He said, I'm going to be your help. 
Think about what it means to have the God of the universe being your help. I will uphold you. I'm going to lift you up. And he says, behold, all the ones that are angry with you, he said, they're going to be ashamed. They're going to be put to shame. That's a good promise, you know. He said, you'll actually look around to try to find the ones that are against you and you won't even be able to find them. Meditate on that until it becomes a part of you. Meditate on Luke 137 where it says that nothing is impossible with God. And start thinking of all the things in your life that seem impossible. You know, I have a lot of things in my life that if I thought about it in the natural, it would seem impossible. But God said, I'm the God of the impossible and nothing is too difficult for me. Okay, and remember then, it's not good enough to cross the Red Sea, to cross the, uh, the faith sea yourself. See, we, we need to pass it on to our children. See, they cannot always pass through that Red Sea riding on our shoulders. And we've not done our duty if we've not carried it on to them. And there's times when you're going to have to push that baby out of the nest, you know, push that little bird out of the nest. When Bill was 12 years old, we were building on the house and he wanted to build this big quail run and he wanted to have this little wildlife refuge where, you know, he could put his quail in there and they'd have room to run. So he was going to need a lot of chicken wire because he wanted to put it up the sides and he wanted to run it a long way and go over the top and... And Jack had his hands full built in the house. And so he came in and he asked his dad if he could get some chicken wire. And Jack said, listen, I'm having to believe for the house. I'm having to believe for a thing we need, the supplies we need for the house. He said, it's time for you to believe for that. You know how to do it. We've written a covenant on the house. Now you start believing for that chicken wire if that's what you want. So anyway, they talked and discussed it. And so Bill was riding the bus and he came home about a week later. And he said, dad, guess what I saw today? And he passed by Coggin Park, and that's when they were remodeling Coggin Park, and they were remodeling the tennis courts. And they had taken down all this chicken wire. It had chicken wire around it, you know, for the, for the tennis courts. And they had taken down all that chicken wire and had rolled it up in huge rows, and they were putting up chain-link fence. And so he said, Dad, would you call them and ask them if I can have that or if I can buy that? And Jack said, no, nope, this is your project. You believe God. So anyway, he called, and they, of course, they were tickled for him to haul it off. So Jack got the cattle trailer and he and Bill put these huge rows of chicken wire in the back of that cattle trailer and Bill built for two months on that, <laughs> on that quail run, you know. So we need to teach our children, we need to teach our grandchildren how important it is to take that word and make it a part of them, themselves, so that they can use it. When the grandkids are spending the night with us, after we feed them breakfast, I always say, what are you supposed to do now? And and they say, mm, we're supposed to run to our secret place. And so they both have their own little secret place and they run to their secret place and have their time with God. You know, don't do it just for yourselves or you'll have children that grow up and leave home and they don't get this always just by osmosis. Unfortunately, they tend to pick up some of the bad things by osmosis, but we have to teach them the good things. But that's because the enemy's coming in to try to hold it back. Anyway, that's as far as we can go this week, but we're going to find out next week a little more about crossing the Red Sea or crossing the Faith Sea. Father, thank you that you've made all these things available to us. Thank you, Father, that you've shown us in your word exactly how to appropriate and, and how to use that portion of faith, that measure of faith that you've given to us, how we can put it to practice and how it will grow and become a tree. And as that tree matures, it'll bring forth fruit, Father that not only provides our needs, but it pro provides the needs of others. We thank you, Lord, that, that you use us and, and, oh, that you've made all these provisions for us. In Jesus' name. 
Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.